everyone. Welcome to the My Nights Are Booked podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Pollock. And today I'm going to be talking to you about one of the shows that I am so excited about this fall TV season, Interview with a Vampire. Um, I have to say that I there are a few things that have gotten me as excited as the prospect of this show and Anne Rice's universe coming to life on AMC. And also, we have to acknowledge that it's highly ironic that uh, AMC is now the home to some of my favorite shows, uh, obviously The Walking Dead and now Interview with a Vampire and A Discovery of Witches, which is, uh, it it came on, it started on Shudder, which is part of AMC. And um, yeah, I mean, even now there's this, uh, AMC just invested in passion flicks. So it's like all of my favorite things are linked through AMC. So this is a really exciting time for me. But Interview with a Vampire has a very special place in my heart. And it's, uh, I'm recording this on Labor Day, September 5th. And so I can't talk to you about specifics on the show just yet. But I've met so many wonderful people through social media as we've covered the show um, that I, I thought it would be nice to kind of talk to you about how I came to be a fan of Anne Rice's work. And, you know, some of the things that you can expect and, and how some of the things I might cover might come from a different place. And, um, yeah, and, and I would love to open a conversation with, um, you know, with the fans. I would love to know how you came to be fans of Anne Rice's work. Um, so hopefully this is an ongoing dialogue because I, I fully intend to go deep and, and dive deep on this new series and, uh, there's a lot to be excited about, and I've been, I've been excited since they announced it, and now that I've seen it, and in San Diego, the, the experience I had at San Diego Comic Con, you know, having a chance to, to see the panel and to go to the press conference afterwards and kind of be in the presence of the cast and the crew, and and trust me, I've got some really fun stuff coming up, and uh, we'll have some chances at interviews and. Um, special features with the cast. So I'm really excited about that. I'm glad that the show ended up at AMC because obviously I've got a relationship with them. So, um, you know, being able to bring you some special coverage is something that I'm really excited about. Um, that said, let's kind of, you know, let's, I, I kind of wanted to share a little bit about my history with, uh, with Anne Rice and with the books and, and how that came to be. And then we'll kind of talk a little bit about what to expect and what's coming and all of that good stuff. So um, I promise I won't keep you too long on today's podcast, but you know, I think it's always fun to get to know people. And, and um, I think for some people it might be surprising. I, I, the thing is the thing about Anne Rice's work. And uh, when I think back to when the movie came out in 1994, there were things that you could be a fan about and, and that you could, you could let your fangirl out and be excited about, you know, and, and, and certainly a movie starring some of the hottest actors in Hollywood and, and, and hot meaning, you know, obviously attractive, but off, you know, also box office gold. When you have that many people in a movie, of course, it's going to attract attention. But I was 14 when the movie came out and that was actually my, my, introduction to Anne Rice's work and I never would have seen the movie wasn't even on my radar except my best friend at the time said hey I want you I want you to come see this movie I've already seen it twice I want you to see it 
And so we went to the theater. My mom bought us tickets because we were 14 and it's rated R, so we couldn't get in by ourselves. And uh, I watched this movie. Now, I have to tell you that I almost got up and left about halfway through. And that's because the character of Lestat was killed off and um, I wasn't happy about that. And so she had to reassure me that he was, not only would he come back a couple of times, but he was, he was very much alive and well by the end of the movie. So this pacified me and I was able to stay through the movie, but I was that caught up. I was already that hooked on the character that I knew that if the, if he was not a part of the movie, I did not want to keep seeing the movie. And that's not to say that I didn't absolutely love Brad Pitt as Louis and Kirsten Dunst as, uh, as Claudia and Antonio Banderas and Christian Slater. I loved all of them, but Lestat and I had this very deep connection. And, um, so it, Ironically, that so let's see, that was, uh, I saw it on, I'll never forget, it was December 14th, 1994, and uh, I think I have the ticket stuff somewhere, and that Christmas we went to the mountains, so you know, just a couple days later we went to the mountains, and um, we stopped at this, this little country store on the way, and I was a, I'm, I was a reader, I was a total nerd, and I was a reader. And so I usually had at least a couple of books with me, no, no matter where we went. They were usually Star Trek books because I was a huge Trekkie. And uh, even though I was only 14, I had attended several Star Trek conventions at that point. But we couldn't talk about that. This is what I, I was referring to about the whole you couldn't fangirl. At that time in 1994, you you could be fans of some things, but you couldn't be out, you couldn't outwardly be a fan of other things. So when, when this movie resonated with me, I wasn't able to get onto social media and say, Oh my God, I love this movie. Only a few of my friends had seen it and they all saw it because they were, you know, Brad Pitt at that time was just becoming the superstar that we know him to be. I mean, legends of the fall would follow, you know, shortly thereafter. Um, and, you know, in Seven and all of those movies that we know him for. And obviously Tom Cruise was already a star and Antonio Banderas hadn't, hadn't starred in, um, the movie I always think of is, is Mask of Zorro. None of that had happened yet. And so, you know, so people weren't flying, the people in my social circles were not flocking to see the movie and, and also because it was rated R. So you had to have parents who were cool enough to get you in. And that wasn't the case with everybody. So not everybody was as enamored of this movie as I was. But one of the things that I was really captivated by was the context of these immortal creatures able to transcend time. It was something that just, it piqued my interest. And I was so, I was already a history nerd. Um, history was always my favorite subject. I always excelled in it. I loved getting lost in history. Um, you know, it would become it would become very ironic later on that the Italian Renaissance and Roman history were some of my favorite things. We studied, we did this unit on the Italian Renaissance when I was in sixth grade and I fell in love. I could, I had to read everything I could find about the Italian Renaissance. And so obviously when I met Marius later on, I was just obsessed with his character. So, you know, there, there were all these, the foundation for my love for Anne Rice's work was built before I saw the movie and even know, you know, before I even knew that her work existed. Um, 
so when, you know, so back to this trip, I, I, we were at this country store. I went to the paper book spinner rack and there was a copy of interview with a vampire. And so naturally I got it. And I immediately realized that the book was, was very different from the movie, but it had all of the key elements. And so I just got lost in this book and I was completely, completely captivated by the story, by Louis's story. So when I got to the end and realized that there were more books, naturally, as soon as we got back from Christmas vacation, I was at the bookstore buying the Vampire Lestat and the Queen of the Damned and Tale of the Body Thief. And uh, interestingly enough, Memnock the Devil would come out in 1995. So that was the year after I had discovered these books. So, you know, that was, I was at a very early point in these books progression and um, one of the things that stood out to me, you know, I was 14 when I read these books and a lot of the things, a lot of the deeper meanings weren't things that I, I realized or recognized at the time. And I think that's important because for me, I obviously, I, I, I could tell that the love between Lestat and Louis was, was powerful. I didn't, I remember having to look up, um, one of the reviews for interview with a vampire, uh, someone described it as homoerotic and I had no idea what that meant. I had, I had no idea. And it's not to say that I was sheltered. I, I wasn't particularly sheltered at all, actually. Um, except myself, like I, I sheltered myself. Like I was, I was, um, my, my parents were free spirited and I was the one who was straight laced, you know, to this day, I've never drank. I've never smoked. I've never done drugs. I've never done anything. And so I've always been that straight laced person. So I've always been more sheltered than I've needed to be, but I wasn't so sheltered that I didn't recognize, uh, you know, homosexuality or gay relationships. My mom's best friend is gay. So I grew up completely understanding these things, but I didn't, so maybe that's why I missed it because it, it, in my mind, it was kind of already ingrained there that, you know, this was normal. So I didn't really think too much of it. Um, you know, so there were, there were things that I missed at the outset reading these books as a 14 year old. So over the years as you know, I, I think all of us can, can relate to, you know, the, the frequent rereadings and, you know, as new characters came about, new stories came about. Um, you know, going back and, and refreshing our memories as we embrace the new, the new stories. So, you know, it wasn't until later that I really, really picked up on the, the intensity of Lestat's relationship with Nikki, for example, or, you know, the, the connection between the early connection between Marius and Armand, um, you know, and some of the, the things that were problematic, some of the things that were, you know, the way they were retold later in other stories, subsequent stories, um, you know, a lot of those things didn't really come to me until later on. But I think that's kind of an interesting thing. And, and I'm glad that it happened the way it did, because it gave me a better understanding of this world. I mean, really, to me, Anne Rice's world is what fascinated me the most, that she built this entire mythology built around very real places. That was, I think that was the key because again, this foundation, this love of history was already there. So to see the Renaissance come to life in 
Armand's stories and Marius's stories, and you know, to, to hear about Marius as a as a Roman, you know, it, it, during the days of the Roman Empire, and to to read all of these these things, it just it fascinated me in a way that I just I was captivated. I was utterly captivated by by Anne Rice's works, and so you know, eventually I read the Mayfair Witches, and and I'd read any book that she released after that. Um, and I, you know, read the ones that she had released after interview before Le Vampire Lestat. And I, you know, I, I was reading everything, but I could never really shake this obsession that I had with, with the vampires. And for me, it was, it was all about going back to these people who could transcend time and they could tell you a story that was set a hundred years ago, 500 years ago, 2000 years ago. And it brought history to life. And so I was, I was utterly hooked. And, um, you know, I know that the books have a, a very deep meaning for so many people and especially people who were, you know, trying to figure out who they, who they were, who they are, um, you know, people questioning their sexuality and, and exploring their sexuality and trying to figure out, you know, trying to find answers that don't just come without a lot of, a, a great deal of introspection. And, um, you know, for me, so much of this was about the vampire as an outsider, because I think to that point in my life and, you know, even still today, um, I've always considered myself to kind of be an outsider and there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think, you know, everybody, everybody looks at their lives and they say, you know, there's, there's, they have things that they're, they're super aware of. And that's, you know, again, that's why when I look back at the things that I was interested in and you couldn't just go, you couldn't go to school as a 12 year old and say, Hey, I just went to a Star Trek convention, especially not in the early 1990s, because that would get you, you know, that, that did not go well in terms of, you know, social credit. Whereas nowadays, there are people that, you know, I, I, I run into people that I, I went to school with and those same people who mocked me for going to Star Trek conventions when I was 12 are now insanely jealous that I have gone to every Comic-Con for the past 16 years and that I have a press badge to get me into all the cool stuff. They're jealous. They want to know how they can do it. They want to go to Comic-Con. And I'm like, you know what? You fuckers weren't even you thought I was, you know, weird for going to Star Trek conventions and liking vampires and liking all of this stuff. It's funny, you know, it, that was that in, in my world, I didn't, um, I, I, I wasn't trying to figure out who I was, um, you know, in terms of like my identity or my sexuality, I was very rooted in those things already. What I was trying to come to grips with is that the things that I was interested in were not the things that people, that other people were typically interested in. And that's not to say that I wasn't, you know, I, I grew up to be a, I was a huge sports fan. I was a huge, you know, pop culture nerd. And I had, you know, very common interests. And, you know, later on in life, I think that's why it's so ironic. Uh, before I became a writer full time, I actually was an assistant athletic director at a university, a division one university. And I oversaw all the academics for an athletic department. And I was an academic counselor in that role. And I worked with, you know, 400 student athletes. 
And they always thought it was weird. They're like, you're going to Comic-Con? They're like, but you're like, you're a sports person. I was like, yeah, but see, I was a nerd before I was ever a sports person. So, you know, I knew I couldn't, uh, I wasn't tall enough to play basketball and get a scholarship. And I wasn't, you know, fast enough to be a runner and all of those things. So I had to settle for focusing on academia and that's what I did. And um, so it, it always, it, it made me laugh when people found it interesting that there was a whole other side that I was kind of hiding. There was a, a, a side of myself that I thought was actually the more pervasive, interesting side of me that I wasn't able to share with people because it just wasn't cool. It wasn't something that you did. And so, you know, for years and years and years, I would just keep that side quiet and, you know, read my history books. When I, by the time I reached college, I was still absolutely enamored with Anne Rice's works and so much so that I picked up a whole major in history that I didn't need. Like I was already a political science major and I just happened to have enough credits and, and thought, you know what, what the hell, I'm going to pick up a second major just for fun. I literally majored in history for fun. I picked up a second major for fun because of Anne Rice. I can literally say that without exaggeration. I majored in history for fun because I was obsessed with Anne Rice and I was obsessed with all of the times and time periods and historical uh, situations that, that she referenced in her works and I wanted to know more. So I majored in history. I also minored in French or I was, I was a two, I was two classes away from my minor in French. And then I dropped out of French because I really didn't like the French teacher because he was an asshole so I decided not to do French anymore, much to the chagrin of the French department chair who was considered me a shoo-in for this, this degree. And, um, but I minored in Spanish. I, I, I suppose that's the other thing is in high school, I picked up French, even though I was studying Spanish, because, you know, obviously I needed to know French because of a certain blonde haired vampire that I was obsessed with. So could I tell people that the reason I was studying French was because of the vampire Lestat? No. But in my mind, did I think it was really cool that I could speak the language and pick up on all of these things? Yes. So I did it and I did it very happily and I'm very happy that I did. So when I look back, I mean, obviously Anne Rice's work had a huge impact on my life. And so to find out that the series was coming, I thought, you know, this is, this is, I could only dream of these things. And now, you know, we work, we live in a world where there's so much demand for content and there's so many streaming platforms and streaming services looking to bring people content that it absolutely makes sense that Anne Rice's works would be adapted. And I know this has been an ongoing thing with, uh, with Anne and, you know, her son, Christopher over the years, they've, they've tried to, to get the books made into movies and, and it's, it, the rights have been purchased and then they, they expire and, I've always thought that, you know, just like the Sopranos and, and Sex and the City and all of these stories were just that it was there's no other way to tell stories than an HBO series. Like in my mind, there was no way that you could you could do justice to Anne Rice without doing it as a series. And so to find out that AMC was doing that and they're not holding back and they're sparing all expenses, sparing no expenses and, and you know, bringing this this work to life in a way that, that allows for the development of the story and you don't have to rush it. 
it's so brilliant. It's what I've always wanted. And so, um, you know, I, I know it, there's, uh, there's also the, the tragedy that, that Anne's not here to see it because it's just an incredible time. Incidentally, Anne Rice passed away a year, uh, the day before my mom's one, the, the one year anniversary of losing my mom. And I always thought that was, uh, that was, it was so interesting because my mom never read Anne Rice, never watched any of the books, but she was always very supportive. If I was interested, interested in something, then she would get interested. And so she always felt this kinship with Anne Rice because she thought she was just a cool person. So it felt right that if Anne Rice was going to pass away, that, you know, that it, it happened the day before the anniversary, the one year anniversary of losing my mom. And it hit me just as hard. Uh, so it, there is that bittersweet sense of, you know, we're about to celebrate the, the launch of this show and she's not here for it. But I think that, uh, you know, having gone to, having gone to Comic-Con and having seen the trailer debut with the cast on stage and seen the clips and now I've seen the screeners and I am so excited about this show. I have studied all of the books for years, years, the nuance of the characters, everything about everything that I love from these stories comes to life in this series. Now, I haven't seen the whole series, so I can't speak for the whole thing, but I have seen enough episodes to be able to say that I, I truly believe that Roland Jones and Mark Johnson have the fans' interest in mind when it comes to bringing these, these stories to life. The cast is, you know, just, just basing this on the trailer itself, because I can't talk about the details of the screeners at this point, but I will. The, the cast is perfect. They are so invested in these characters. And you can see just by the things that they did to prepare for their, their roles. I mean, they, they learned French. They took dancing lessons. They took singing lessons. They took, uh, you know, the, the amount of piano lessons. Like, the things that they did to prepare for these roles, um, you can do because in a movie, you're moving so fast that you don't need those details. But in this case, to have, you know, a whole season dedicated to, you know, to a book is just, it gives you the space that you need to develop all of these things so that the little details matter. And that's the thing that I love the most. And so I have to tell you that I am, I am so excited to be able to talk about this show the embargo lifts on September 22nd, so I can give you a review. There won't be any spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything. I never spoil things. It's, it's against my my personal set of rules. But I, I will get into some of the things that I love and why I love them and, and why I think you're going to love them. Um, I've already I've got a notebook. <laughs> I've been taking notes like crazy, so that I can I can capture you know the details the the lines the the titles how everything links to the the books and you know how closely they're actually following it even though I know there's a lot of questions about you know how the story differs from the book um, I will say you know with the presence of of um, you know having been able to see as much as I have 
I see why they did it. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I think the changes needed to be made in order to tell a story that, that doesn't get into, uh, that doesn't get stuck in things that, that would be, how do I say this without spoiling it? I think it just needed to happen the way it did. And I think it'll be very clear once you see it and you're not losing anything. You're gaining a lot. And I think that's the most important piece to this. Um, I have uh, podcasts planned out. I have articles written and more to write. Uh, my big review is going to be on what to watch because that's, you know, obviously the, the outlet that I, I work for. But my personal blog, My Nights Are Booked, you're going to find all of that stuff there and more. So I really hope that you tune in and, um, you know, do me a favor. If you listen to this podcast, let me know how you came to love Anne Rice and, and what you love about her. And I'd love to share that in future episodes. So thank you so much for listening. And, um, yeah, this is the start of a very exciting journey. So let's get ready, vampire boys and girls and everybody else.